Welcome to The Watershed, a podcast that explores relationships between people and water through shared storytelling. The Watershed is a project of We Are Water Minnesota, a traveling exhibit and community engagement program that engages with water through multiple ways of knowing, scientific and social, political and historical, intellectual and spiritual. The Watershed is a place where everyone is welcome, because we are all connected by water. Thank you for joining us. The We Are Water Minnesota exhibit is on the road for its 2022 tour. Throughout the year, We Are Water Minnesota will be visiting five different communities in the state of Minnesota, Winona, Lake City, Alexandria, Ottertail County, and Dakota County. On the Watershed podcast, we'll be sharing series of episodes that reflect on the water stories of the people who live in each of these places. We Are Water is currently visiting its first stop, Winona, Minnesota, where you can find the exhibit at the Winona County History Center through April 25th. Last week, we heard stories that welcomed us to Winona's unique landscape, with community members sharing reasons why they are drawn to Winona's bluffs, streams, and wildlife. Today, we'll listen in on some of the early experiences and formative memories that have shaped the relationships Winonans have with water, and explore how the early experiences we have with water can set us up for lifelong journeys of working with and learning from water. As we heard in last week's episode, Winona once served as a major river port for the logging industry. It was during this time in the early 20th century that John A. Latch, a local businessman, took to canoeing on the weekends through the Mississippi backwaters for solace. One summer day, a storm broke out, and Latch took refuge along a shore that was private property. To his astonishment, an angry farmer and his dog promptly kicked him off the land and back into the storm. Latch would remember this moment for the rest of his life. The next day, he asked a friend to purchase the farmer's land for him, with the intention of making the Mississippi's riverbanks welcome to all. Over the years, Latch would go on to purchase many more acres of bluffs, shoreland, and islands in the Winona area and donated them for public use. His land donations created places people still enjoy today, including John Latch State Park, portions of Whitewater State Park, in parts of the Upper Mississippi River National Wildlife and Fish Refuge. Out of one seminal moment, Latch created a lasting legacy that has left behind the grounds for future Winonans to forge their own special memories with the water. Paul Schulmeyer is one of many Winonans who proudly have their own life-shaping river story. When I was a child, one of my first real experiences on the river was Um, I was 13 or 14, and some of my middle school, junior high school classmates and myself spent a lot of time on Latch Island, and and we rummaged around um, the island for some cast-off lumber and and actually built a raft this one summer that ultimately became the foundation or the floor for a boathouse. That raft, we, we put a, this is like a Huckleberry Finn kind of story, put a transom on and running lights, and eight of us went out on the river during steamboat days, um, 1969 or 70, 
and we put a small motor on the back of that raft and motored it around the island and threw a rock anchor off a rope uh, just in the front of Latch Island. Uh, and this was at night and sat there on the, uh, on the river, on this raft, all eight of us, raft barely inches above the water and watched the fireworks that were on display that night. And so uh, there are thousands of people in Winona who have, and up and down the river, who have, who have different stories like that. But when you have an experience like that on the Mississippi, you never forget that. And, and you become connected to the water in a way that's you know impossible for people who don't who don't live or experience the river like many of us have had the chance to. Latch Island, named after John Latch, is located across from downtown Winona on the Mississippi, where it houses the city marina and an off-the-grid boathouse community. As Paul shares, his experience of building a raft and watching fireworks on the water with his friends is something that connected him with the water in a special way. Kristen Dieterman shares her own river story and speaks to how her time with water as a child shaped both her life and career. I, I grew up on the river in a canoe, in a motorboat, um, swimming in it, fishing on it, going up uh, the different, you know, ravines and valleys with my dad. He was a, a fur, um, it still is a fur trapper. Uh, so he, he traps beavers and muskrats and otters and all kinds of different things. So just walking around um, different streams and checking the trap line with him and talking to farmers and talking to different people. I I grew up listening to my parents talking about the water slide at Latch Island and um, the beach house at Latch Island. And then there was also a water slide on uh, Lake Winona and how those were all these like big phenomenal swimming places. Lake Winona, not so much anymore, um, but Latch Island is still a huge draw for people to swim at and when I was growing up um, and didn't have access to a boat at some times, Latch Island was a huge place. Um, and all of those things, again, like so many people in this room, contributed to my path in life. Um, I, I loved Winona so much from my childhood, I never wanted to leave. So I went to college at Winona State and did all my, uh, all my degrees and schooling there because I never wanted to leave. This area is so beautiful and so, so special. And because of my upbringing and, you know, the importance of the river and the environment in my family, I went into the water resources field. And now I work for the Minnesota Pollution Control Agency as a watershed project manager. Being part of an outdoorsy family and accompanying her dad on fur trapping trips helped spark Kristen's passion for water resources. Experiencing the Mississippi River and tributary streams regularly and having them associated with so many memories with her relatives has helped solidify the water's value for Kristen. While not all of us have gotten to have these experiences when young, we can still find other avenues to connect with water. Today, Kristen sees her early experiences with water as both a privilege to be grateful for and an opportunity to help protect our water resources for folks downstream now and in the future. Through her work, 
Kristen has joined an ongoing history of conservation efforts in southeastern Minnesota. The Winona area is part of the Winona and La Crescent watersheds, represented by the Winlock Partnership. In the early 1900s, massive erosion issues wreaking havoc on local communities started a legacy of conservation in this area. It all started when white settlers arrived here in the 1850s to 1870s. They began growing wheat to ship via the river. Some settlers switched to corn, which didn't hold the soil as well. Farmers sometimes planted up and down the slope of a hill instead of across, and when tractors were introduced, farmers plowed steeper slopes. By the 1900s, all of these factors started causing the topsoil to wash into rivers, and farms and towns were covered by sand and mud. In 1938, the town of Beaver flooded 28 times. Several feet of sediment buried the town, causing residents to abandon their homes and flee the valley. It was clear that this way of life was not sustainable. In the 1940s and 50s, Richard J. Dorer led Minnesota in a plan to restore the ruined valleys of the southeast. The state purchased erosion-prone land. Slopes were planted with trees and shrubs, ponds were built to store runoff, and stream channels were restored. Southeast Minnesotans have done a lot to protect the watershed, yet there remains more to do to ensure that the watershed continues to thrive. Jennifer Biederman is a freshwater biologist who is helping continue Winona's conservation work. Like Kristen, her work begins from a place of gratitude. So I, before I moved to Winona, I actually grew up in, in a small city outside of Green Bay, Wisconsin. And growing up, I was fascinated with water because I had the privilege. My father was a, an aquatic biologist, so I got to follow him in the field and we would go to streams and catch fish. And so I was very lucky to have those experiences because otherwise, growing up in that area, there was very little access. Despite there being a lot of water, there was very little access to areas where there was clean water. So Green Bay, there's a lot of industry and manufacturing and um, many of you know there's super fun sites there um, and and even along in Green Bay like the bay itself was very inaccessible like I don't have memories of a kid of going to the beach in Green Bay and which is very odd to me and so then when I was about 18 we moved to Winona I wasn't happy about it at the time but it's just, it's a remarkable, I think, juxtaposition how in Winona we have so much access, public access to water and to enjoy water. And it's not perfect. I mean, we have our issues with contamination and, you know, other problems like with erosion and sedimentation and things that are challenges. But it is just, it is such a difference here to be here. And now I work as an aquatic biologist here. And I imagine what my life would be if I were an aquatic biologist living back in Northeastern Wisconsin. And I think it would be very different. So um, I think it's easy to take for granted just what wonderful access we have to recreation and beauty and, and all of that related to water here in this part of the state. Much of Jennifer's work takes place on local groundwater fed streams where trout live. Her hope is that her research can help local citizens understand the ecological richness that surrounds them. And for her, it begins with her students. With a trout stream running only a few minutes walk from the campus she teaches at, Jennifer tries to incorporate the stream into her curriculum wherever she can. So I teach on at St. Mary's University and so the the creek itself is a long respect it's been you know very long revered on that campus but over time 
So way back in the day, it got very, um, there's a lot of um, impact of agriculture in the late 1800s, early 1900s. And um, the Gilmore Creek was eventually one of the first sites for restoration um, and back in the early 1930s. And so it actually is kind of a success story. So it went from having virtually no fish or trout in it to now it's teeming with brown trout. But it's funny because I'll talk to you know students and I'll talk to some alumni and I'll talk about the creek and the work I do in the creek. And, and some of them are surprised that there's fish in it. And I'm like, yeah, there's a lot of trout in there. It's, it's actually, despite its challenges, it's pretty, it's got some pretty nice populations of brown trout. Not that it doesn't have its challenges. And so since I've been at St. Mary's for the last two years, we we're I'm really trying to push a, um, a big project to restore the creek um, with some external partners, including the DNR and Trout Unlimited. And the first step in that is really to get an easement, a fishing easement um, installed along at least some sections of the creek through campus. The biggest challenges right now, I think, are um, erosion. And then we have a couple of dams, so to speak, on campus that are really wreaking havoc <laughs> throughout much of, the, much of the campus. So upstream of on the campus there's there's some neighborhoods and um there's also a little bit of agriculture and things so there's still a a, a bit of, of um, erosion and also during through campus there's some points where the creek is sort of incised where it's kind of um cut down and so we have these like kind of steep banks that aren't real secure and so we have especially in the spring quite a bit of erosion um in the creek but um, nothing, I don't think it's anything like the challenges they faced back in the um, early part of the 20th century, but still challenges are there. As Jennifer shares, being a good caretaker of water involves knowing its history in a place and being able to identify potential threats before they become a greater problem. Jennifer's water stewardship journey began with her watching her dad's work as an aquatic biologist. For many of us, the memories of and associations we have with water come from being with our family. The same can be said for Anne Morse, who worked as Winona's sustainability coordinator. She shares how recreational experiences with her family contributed to her wonder with the local ecosystem. What we did as a family for our recreation was actually visiting the river. Um, we did it in a really quiet way. We did canoes, um, but, and I was lucky enough to have a, a parent who was a naturalist, um, who was Whitewater State Park's first naturalist. So um, he had a lot of expertise and he just, he just introduced us to the Mississippi as an ecosystem. And one of my most favorite memories of my life was um, as a child going on a picnic to a, um, and visit a rookery, um, not when the egrets and herons were sitting on their nests, but after the, the birds had um, hatched and fledged. So it was a safer time for the, for the birds. Um, but it was um, kind of a magical place because the adults were still there. And if you've ever been in a rookery, which there are several around here, they're like otherworldly squawking um, birds that everybody should have a chance to experience. It's, it's like, unlike anything else. We, you know, 
we are really lucky what we have here and i've and we were not a, a wealthy family so we couldn't really we had to hang out in the area so on sundays our thing would be would we would go canoeing in the backwaters on ham and shoot and exploring and um i want to say i there's something that i read once a, a while ago that six myth me always is that so researchers were trying to figure out what it, do people have who are all concerned about um nature and recognizing it's important what common thread makes somebody care enough to be an advocate and what they found out was that the only thing everybody shared was that they all had as a child an opportunity to just hang in unstructured play in some ecological environment it could have been a sand pile it could have been the backwaters like it was for me it could have been the trout stream but it was a time for people to just be in nature and felt a sense of magic upon experiencing the rookery with her family she emphasizes that while we all come from different sets of experiences those moments of simply being in nature free to explore without a structure or a schedule truly stay with us Mike Kennedy shares one of his own moments that has stayed with him, reflecting on the ways that the Mississippi has changed over the years that his family has been with it. When I was four or five years old, and my family, my grandfather acquired a, a log cabin on the backwaters of the Mississippi River around 1910, way before I was around. And That cabin still exists as it was on about 30 acres of land in one of the most beautiful backwater settings that you can imagine on the Upper Mississippi River. And it's still a log cabin. It still has a pump in the kitchen and a barrel stove, no electricity. Um, and my family spent many, many days there. And I, as a four or five-year-old, remember intimately going there and having my grandfather drag out his old town cedar strip canoe and put it in the water at the dock which is only about 20 feet from the front steps of this cabin and then take me out into the backwaters of the mississippi river now when that cabin was built it was built on a lake It was near the main channel of the Mississippi River because 1910, it's still a free-flowing river. There was no locks and dams. There wasn't a lot of flooded backwater areas, but there were lakes that had existed prior to that, and that's where this cabin was. So in my lifetime, the backwaters were created all around this lake and inundated the lake um, because of the flooding that occurred at the dams. So to go out in this canoe and be able to go over areas that were an existing lake pre-dam time and also backwater areas. Um, it was just, to me, it was better than today's movies. I would sit in the middle of the canoe on the bottom because he wouldn't let me sit up on the canoe. I'd probably fall out of it at that age. Um, but he'd give me a stick. I'd always have a stick, I remember that. And I'd sit in the canoe and look over the side of it and I could see down in the water. It was crystal clear water then. 
I could see down in the water, maybe two or three feet. And then you could look over and see the frogs. You could see them swimming. Usually you see a frog on the shore, you see a frog on a lily pad or something. But I remember seeing the frogs swimming underwater. I remember seeing the turtles walking along the bottom um, in the muck, searching for food and the fish swimming above them. And this was two to two to three feet of water. And I, it just, it was like a movie every time I went out. I could lean over the sides and I could poke my stick in and scare everything away. And my grandfather would chew me out. <laughs> so you want to watch him or do you want to chase him? Well, after I, a few years of doing that, he tied a string on the end of it, put a hook and a worm on it. So that began my fishing days around five or six or seven years old with a stick and a string and a hook. Um, and that's how I grew up viewing the river that way and the backwaters that way and the cleanliness of the water and the beauty and the wildlife um, and the quiet, peaceful backwaters were gliding along like Ann said in a canoe. There's just um, no other um, viewing platform. I believe the kayaks just about reached that now. Um, because you're at about the level of the water. And I've been in kayaks a lot, but I still prefer my canoe. I still use that same old town canoe to paddle around in the backwaters. Mike's early memories on the Mississippi's backwaters are closely intertwined to his memories with his grandfather. Memories can hold the multi-layered nature of our connections with people and our connections with place. As we've heard from the stories shared today, the loved ones and loved landscapes we grew up with can play an important role in carving the paths we take in life. As you step back into your day and week, I invite you to consider, what river are you following and from where did it begin? Check out the show notes for links to resources and more information on the themes we discussed, and consider sharing this podcast or leaving a review if you've enjoyed what you've heard. You can visit the We Are Water Minnesota exhibit at the Winona County History Center March 3rd through April 25th, 2022. And you can follow We Are Water Minnesota on Facebook and Twitter at We Are Water MN. The Watershed Podcast is hosted and produced by me, Megan Reich. Special thanks to Marlena Gonzalez, who gathered the audio stories on this episode. The Watershed is a project of We Are Water Minnesota a traveling exhibit about water and people. It is led by the Minnesota Humanities Center in partnership with the Minnesota Pollution Control Agency, the Minnesota Historical Society, University of Minnesota Extension, and the Minnesota Department of Health, Agriculture, and Natural Resources. We Are Water Minnesota is funded in part with money from the Clean Water, Land, and Legacy Fund that was created with the vote of the people of Minnesota on November 4, 2008, and by the National Endowment for the Humanities. Thank you for listening.